Brain plasticity is the most important thing we can do for amplifying cognition at this stage. You can take whatever smart drugs you want, etc. But if you don't practice brain plasticity, they probably won't get you to where you want to go. Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition podcast, formerly the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. Each week, I speak to incredible people who are working on how we can get to next-level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making so we can keep ahead in an accelerating world. My guests share how they amplify their productivity, the success of organizations, and the potential of humanity by using an array of technologies, including AI, innovative processes, and sometimes simple everyday practices. I do this podcast to learn. I learn so much from every guest I speak to, and I'm sure you will too. If you are intent on amplifying your cognition, simply go to amplifyingcognition.com to access a trove of useful resources, including the Humans Plus AI learning community, resources and downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app, which allows you to interface more effectively with AI, transcripts from all of our podcast episodes, and far more. That's amplifyingcognition.com. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to hear more and help others to find the podcast by liking or sharing. It makes a massive difference, so thank you. On this episode, we talk with Natasha Vita Moore. Natasha is a professor, author, scientist, innovator, and executive director of Humanity Plus. She is recognized as a pioneer of the transhumanist movement, having published a manifesto in 1983, with her scientific work including advances in cryobiology and innovations in body-brain engineering. She holds a PhD and two masters and has lectured at universities including Harvard, Yale, Stanford, and Cambridge. Natasha has appeared in over 24 televised films and documentaries about humanity's future and is a frequent keynote speaker on topics including longevity and human enhancement. You can find out more on her work at her website, Natasha Vita Moore. That's Natasha Vita Moore, M O R E dot com. This episode, we talk about many things, including transhumanism, transcending cognitive biases, brain health, how we can increase our neuroplasticity to compact dementia, beneficial AGI, and far more. So stay tuned for a wonderful conversation with Natasha Vita Moore. Natasha, it's a delight to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. So you are involved amongst many, many other things in uh, transhumanism. And this is something which is, people probably have some idea of, but perhaps not an uh, accurate idea. I'd love to, to hear how you frame transhumanism. I frame transhumanism uh, as a philosophy which developed and grew into a world movement and sets the pace for the potential of emerging technologies and evidence-based science to help improve the human condition, which for the largest part is often sequestered in disease and discomfort, in equalities and conflict. A lot of that conflict is due largely to the emotions, let's say the reptilian brain, um, the fight or flight, uh, religious wars, political determinations, and social unrest. And that's a very big part of 
why the human condition is something to talk about and why transhumanism offers a different or a new approach to these things and that we can be better people. We can do better in the world. And uh, the, the aim is to, to help with that through, for example, artificial intelligence and nanotechnology and um, biomedical therapies to help with disease, to be better informed about information that's not biased or prejudiced, and to be um, more analytical, better thinkers about the world around us, to be more conscious, aware, and so on and so forth. And that's the real goals behind transhumanism. The, um, the benefits of that are, are certainly large, and, and of course there are consequences to any particular technological group or a psychological group that, of, of tools or, or methodologies that might alter or change who we are, and that's where the rub is. And oftentimes transhumanism is misunderstood as wanting to control humanity or to um, um, have an elitist uh, stance, etc., which is, is absolutely untrue. There is no sign of that within the transhumanist philosophy itself and um, or in the movement. Of course, individuals will practice what they want as they do, and I think that has really affected transhumanism. Um, so, that the aim is to uh, correct that as best we can. So the trans, you know, suggests beyond. So beyond what it has been hum- been to be human. So pointing to uh, essentially evolution or uh, transcendence of uh, what we have been before into some new life form potentially. Uh, yeah, I mean, and we could look at it that way, um, kind of more metaphorically. I suppose that if we look at all the the wars and and the the strife and suffering that humanity has gone through, while at the same time being extraordinarily innovative and um, applying uh, intelligent skills to problem solving and overcoming problems, you know, our species has worked very hard at that for eons. Look where we are today compared to where we were quite some time ago. So we can see the improvements, but one of the, the falterings there is there has been little progress in the emotionality or the psychology of the human. And um, thus, we have things like narcissism and egocentricities and also biases, people thinking others are doing something or thinking something that they're not because we... It's called cognitive bias, where we we put onto other people what we're afraid of, and uh, those cognitive biases are are pretty much growing by leaps and bounds today, all over in social media, and in politics, and in in the religious wars. So that's something that really is about time we overcame that. You know, it's it's it sounds so silly, but John Lennon was right. You know, love is the answer, and. Um, I think that the diversity in the world needs to be respected and regarded in a way that that puts an end to this. You know, I, I wish that the, the people on, on our beautiful planet who are tired of this would just stand up and say, enough is enough, stop this nonsense. But then it becomes more complex than that. You know, unless you're there and in the middle of it, you don't understand it. So I'd love to dig into the cognitive biases, as in, as you say, our brains are 
flawed and you know, wonderful in, in many ways and flawed in some ways. And the, we are built in with all sorts of cognitive biases, which sometimes we self-amplify. So what are, what are tools or mechanisms or approaches that we have today or which are apparent today for us to move beyond or to improve our cognitive biases? Uh, first, the uh, just explain for your audience, cognitive biases describe the tendency for people's thoughts and feelings and experiences to affect their judgment. And it's, it's like having a veil over a reality, that reality is interpreted through people's experiences or what they think of something or how they've been trained to think about something or by even, you know, groupthink. Uh, and, um, you know, certain types of hysteria, like crowd hysteria and so forth. And the way to overcome our biases, you know, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's a lot of work. We have to uh, develop a respect for neuroplasticity. And I think that's, that's the main thrust of my views and in my talks and work on brain health. There's, you know, we know that uh, the diseases of dementia, including Alzheimer's and um, uh, brain um, traumas to the brain and and other brain diseases, are on the on the growth. They're um, upswing, unfortunately, and by 2050, that the number of people with dementia will increase. Uh, it will triple to uh, say 152 million people by 2050. And that's pretty concerning. That means you know, one in every four of us will have um, some type of dementia. And early onset Alzheimer's is on the rise. And um, one way to detect that is through um, looking to see if we have the genes that um, cause Alzheimer's and to have brain scans and be aware of our, our own cognitive processes. So I look at what we can do to overcome the cognitive biases in that regard, because I find it um, one of the biggest hurdles to overcome today. And this is not only in transhumanism, but uh, across you know all sectors of beliefs and practices in society. Neuroplasticity uh, is can be exercised through training ourselves to to do something differently than we've done before, but first. In order to do that, it's important to become aware of what we're doing. <laughs> and that type of introspection is often missing because it's obfuscated by the biases. So you mentioned brain health, and that's obviously a deep and rich topic, but would love to touch on what what are the ways in which we can uh, today or any and or emerging where we can increase the health of our brains. This is obviously the heart of being able to amplify our cognition is to have the healthy brains which can be in a position to, to think well. No, you're absolutely correct. And, and thank you for saying that because it sounds all sexy and nice to talk about how different um, therapies will increase, amplify the brain and the future of AI and integration with, integration with computers and human-computer interaction and Enhancement. And I love those topics, to be sure, but I think it's really important to get to the 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 beast in the belly of it, and that is that most of us don't like to change. We're pretty. Um, we've built our neural pathways, and 
you know, stick with the course on, on the way we think. And that's really damaging to us because as we grow, we need to adapt and change to thinking protocols and to understand that social norms do change. And while we may continue with our, our you know, core values, that we need to adapt and be flexible. So brain health starts, in my view, with neuroplasticity. And we know that in the brain, there are billions of, of pathways and, and neurons firing off. And um, these are the roads that light up every time you think or feel something. And some of these roads are well-traveled and those become the neural pathways that we fall into, our habits, the, our conditioning and what we do just almost intuitively or involuntarily. But once we've established these ways of thinking and doing and behaving, so every time we try to do something different, we fall back into those patterns. So it takes um, what I call in my brain health um, work is the brain exercise. And it's every day try to do something slightly different and then try to make that a good habit. And um, one can certainly um, find his or her or their bad habits and go, okay, I'm going to change this, but you got to practice it. And if we think about things differently, uh, we have a new emotion or change an old habit, we start carrying out a new road or pathway. And if we start to travel this more often in our thinking and our actions and emotions, our brain begins to use these new pathways more and more, and then it becomes a second alternative and further second nature. So basically thinking about things differently or doing something differently soon will become habits. So why not create good habits and uh, practices? And again, it takes a lot of introspection to go, okay, what am I, how am I behaving wrong or what am I doing that's not in my best interest? Now, I don't want to say there's a right or wrong here. What I'm saying is for health and well-being, since transhumanism is about healthy longevity and um, continuous education and growth and understanding from the psychological point of view, I think that it is a very strong practice to do this and um, put your ego aside and and. Learn how to say, I'm wrong, I made a mistake. Or one of my favorite things is to credit someone else. When you have the awards and accolades, step back and say, and thanks to this person and thanks to that person. And when you fail, take full responsibility. That's, I think, important. <laughs> it's, I mean, to a point, uh, this is about behavioral flexibility. And yeah. as you talk about improving your your habits, identifying habits which aren't so good and be able to change them. I mean, I think there's also a, an aspect here of simply being able to vary your behavior. So as you say, people get to very, very patterns and what they eat and when they eat and the way they go to work really? and simply being able to say, well, I'll do something different, not because it's better or worse, just because it's different for the sake of it. And being able to get to a state where you have behavioral flexibility, as in you are able to have a bigger and bigger and bigger repertoire of behaviors is, is leads to cognitive flexibility. No, that's really well said. I, I like that you said that because, you know, like my mother had dementia, but she did crossword puzzles every day. She was an avid reader. She was a keenly intelligent woman, but it was so sad to see that. And I spoke to a good friend of mine, um, Dr. David uh, Eagleman, who had the TV show on the brain. 
And I asked him, I said, well, what is this? I mean, what could be done differently? He said, don't do the same thing that you do every day. If you're excellent at doing puzzles or playing chess or doing a particular dance or speaking a particular language, learn a different one. Do something that is difficult. Get to that point where you're going, ouch, or oh, or, or you're at a point of, of frustration. And that frustration, just get beyond it and then start building those um Get beyond the frustration. It's challenging, and um, that is good for the brain. The other area of the brain I wanted to mention um, is the um, uh, something called adult neurogenesis, ANG. And there's been a lot of scientific controversy over this, whether the adult brain can grow neurons. And some scientists who've done their research said, absolutely cannot grow new neurons at the adult age in humans that the prenatal stage is when most of our neurons are developed, some later on, but not definitely not at adult stage. And other scientific uh, research shows that, yes, indeed, um, adult humans can grow new neurons in the hippocampus part of the brain, which is about learning and memory. And uh, that's really exciting. Um, but that's just, you know, that the, the beauty of the possibility of that. And if that's true, then we really need to pay attention to not only synaptic plasticity and memory function, but the, the, um, the physical things we can do that will help uh, generate those adult neurogenesis, so the, the growth of new neurons um, in the hippocampus. And that ties into certainly our basic genetic makeup, but also ties into what we eat, how we sleep, how we exercise, our community of people, are we happy? Do we do we hang out with people who make us better people and feel and and feel respected and loved or do we hang out with people that are criticizing us and shaming us? So, it's really important as far as the amplifying cognition element is that um be careful first off, be careful how we talk to ourselves. You know, some of us like to do everything really well. If we don't do it, you know, the best of our ability, we come down on ourselves, get angry. But we need to stop that voice. And um, because we, it, while we're saying that, we're really, our, our mind is listening to what we're saying. And likewise, the people we hang out with, our community, our tribe, uh, who are our family, basically, I guess the best word is community. Who are these people? Because you will become them. And they will become you on an average, and this is kind of interesting, uh, again, on an average, you become pretty much the five people you spend the most time with. So those five, if you want to look at it mathematically, and this is you know an approximation, of course, but you'll get who are the five people you spend the most time with? Well, consider how they are in the world and what is their attitude and their and their what is their amp- amplifying cognition capabilities? What are they doing to um, stay fluid in the thinking and and um, get beyond their own biases and whatnot. And if you find that that's really important, very important for us. And it's so basic. I mean, you think of well, neuroplasticity, changing habits, and you know, eating well, sleeping well, being with lovely people, and doing exercise. It's all great, but what's it really going to do? It's not the future. It's not the really transhumanist goal of of, you know, high-end technologies and uploading and all that. But frankly, I think it's exceedingly important. And before we get to any further high-end 
technological advances that are sexy and stunning and all of that, first we need to start with a solid foundation of understanding who we are as people, who we want to become, and to work at that. Very quick break to point you to AmplifyingCognition.com. You'll find a stack of resources to help you get to next level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making, including the Humans Plus AI learning community with extensive courses and events, free downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thoughtweaver app to achieve more with AI, productivity programs for individuals and companies, and far more. Now back to the show. But uh, well, in the podcast, we we do like to focus on uh, what we can do in the present. Uh, one of one of the, I suppose, core uh, concepts in transhumanism is that we might be able to upload our minds or transfer memories, and keeping it, I suppose, as close to the present as possible. I mean, what what are the potential pathways that we can see today? to be able to move to uploading our minds or aspects of uh, our memory uh, externally? Well, you know, that's really uh, an excellent question and a, a very important topic. We could turn to neuroscience and cognitive science and looking at what's being done today with individuals who have, for example, deep, deep depression. Uh, uh, extreme chemical imbalance in the brain that no drug, no behavior, no cognitive um, you know, uh, therapy can help with. It's almost stuck. Well, there are uh, processes being developed and being used, uh, not on a widespread basis, but they're still in you know development stage, but they are showing success by stimulating certain areas of the brain. And this is really important because Getting through that block, whether it's the the chemical block or the the tanglement in the brain of the of or you know the the, the inflammation entanglement or uh, clogging of of amyloids or whatever is going on to cause this or the extreme chemical imbalance, we can get beyond that today to stimulate um, through therapies. You know, let's call it electrical therapies, for lack of a, a better term here. But we can stimulate that to help people get beyond that. And that's kind of like reprogramming the brain in a way, but going beyond it to stimulate the part of the brain that's not being stimulated because there's a blockage. Again, whether it's the amyloid or it's the entanglement or, you know, whatever the inflammation that's blocking um, that the drug to get through to, you know, like a serotonin, a reuptake inhibitor, et cetera. So you're particularly referring to transcranial magnetic stimulation? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yes, I didn't know how technical I could get with the audience, yeah, yeah, but no, yes, yeah. excellent. Yeah, please, please, <laughs> yeah, get, get specific. Yes, oh, no, yes, and those types of processes are really fascinating. I mean, it's it's just mind blowing. And now, if we consider the rise in different dementia diseases, not only the disease of Alzheimer's, which is you know its own disease and it can be identified through having a gene that is will cause Alzheimer's um, to dementia, which can be the result of trauma to the brain or it can be the result of ALS or Parkinson's, Huntington's disease, um, multiple sclerosis, any and the number of diseases, and just, you know, 
um, um, just inflammation and uh, degradation of uh, brain matter. It's really important because we've got to be able to do that to protect memories. And you asked about, so let me just finish with this. So in those areas, there are ways to to stimulate charges in the brain um, through magnetic resonance, through different um, electrical charges, through getting beyond the stuff to igniting the brain. And that's showing uh, a level of success that I think is very important. Now, you asked me about uploading a memory trans- transfer and um, whatnot. Um, currently, right now, what we have are video, we have audio, we have you know, recording scrapbooks. If we take the idea of the original scrapbook where you know, our parents and his children and adults, we take pictures and we write the date and what happened at that time, that's a beautiful memory bank. So taking that into the artificial intelligence sphere or the, you know, the computer computational system sphere, how can we transfer uh, what the brain does, those neurolog- neurological charges between the dendrites and their synapses into another matter that w- can be copied? Well, that is the whole point of uploading, and it's not possible yet today. Now, certainly Elon Musk with Neuralink is trying to a degree, um, and and that's all great. And there are other researchers looking at how to copy um, some processes, some emotions, and identifying that and what type of chemical charges there are and how to duplicate that through algorithmic um, copying. Uh, that's really a fascinating area, but it's still at the at the beginning stages. So if you wanted to upload it, have to say, oh, oh don't do it quite yet. Uh, it's a little bit ahead of the curve. Until we get to that point, the best thing we can do for our to amplifying our cognition is to be keep our brain as healthy as possible. So any anger, the stress, all these things that you know are pretty much everyday diseases for most human beings are things that we need to really work darn hard at ridding ourselves of, you know, and, and that again takes a lot of introspection and honesty about oneself. You know, the anger we hold inside only hurts us. So, uh, you know, meditation is great. Um, good night's sleep is great. All these things that go, oh, they're, they're not again, sexy and stunning and out there and shiny and, you know, all bright and hitting the headlines. Those are the most important things we can do today to preserve the best of ourselves, our brain, the most important organ <laughs> that we have, Indeed. our most precious brain. You know, it's, it's interesting. I wanted to just uh, have a footnote here. I speak at a lot of conferences on longevity or AI future and the future of humanity and, and um, ethics and, and visionary ideas, etc. And very few of these conferences and events focus on the brain as part, a necessary part of the longevity movement. In fact, most are focused on either gene therapy, genetic engineering, stem cells, um, you know, being very rigid in diet and, and all of that, which, you know, all of that's, it's, it's fine. But the brain, oh boy, it is our most important organ. So that's why I've really switched gears and focusing on, on that. And I'd, I'd like to take my research further from the work I did about, gosh, seven years ago with uh, proving that long-term memory persists through the field of cryobiology's biostasis or cryonics. And, and that was a quite a wonderful 
um, project and I was very pleased with the outcome and, and being able with my team to have a scientific breakthrough. That was great, but that's just one, one thing. There's so much to do and it, it doesn't have to necessarily be in a scientific lab. It can be just out with people and um, through empirical research and, and doing our best to get others to, to be more active again, to build that um, neuroplasticity. Absolutely. Yeah, the, as you know, often say, the most uh, amazing thing in the known universe is the, the human brain. And so uh, we still haven't uh, tapped its potential by any means. But of course, a lot of focus now is on AI. And so you've been appointed to the uh, advisory board of, the, of Beneficial AGI. Uh, yes, I have. Organization. And that's where... You know, if we look at current trajectories, so, you know, the big debate is what is AGI? Is that something we'll get to or when might we get there? Uh, you know, what does that mean? And of course, the we want this to be beneficial to humanity and, and not everyone seems to be uh, believing that that will happen or might happen, but we can certainly do an immense amount to make the make it as beneficial as possible. So I'd love to hear what what's that frame? How, what are the things that we can and should be or, or are doing today to move towards AGI being beneficial to humanity? Yes. Well, there's certain pillars that, that I, I see with this. And I think one of the, the biggest pillars for, for uh, beneficial um, AGI, or as the conference is called, is beneficial general intelligence because it's it's smoother to say, but it, it is actually AGI. But um, for so for beneficial advanced um, artificial intelligence, um, bottom up learning as it goes, I think one of the the biggest areas that it can help is um, the obvious ones, the narrow AI ones, sorting out data that for doctors, sorting out information and data about our genetics to see, you know, what um, pathway we need to be taking in our individual lives for our personalized medicine, um, sorting out political issues and um, what's going on in the world, social issues. I think that um, rather than statistics, that gathering data through narrow AI will help build that out so we can then use our creative thinking cap to um, with AGI to find solutions. So one of the issues that we're facing today is we don't have enough data. We don't have all the data in an objective method. So we need data objectively or information objectively. Then we can apply you know, future skills of scenario planning and strategic thinking and, and systems analysis and um, a foresight and um, forethought, et cetera, to finding best possible scenarios for the future. And there'll be many alternatives, and then perhaps AGI can work with us to find the one that would work in the time. And mind you, pivoting is really important because things are changing, so we need to learn how to pivot more in our thinking and amplifying cognition. That's important. So I think a couple of areas that um, I have concern about, and I think Beneficial um, AGI Summit will certainly deal with is the concern that so many people have gotten on the bagman of existential risk and the open letter by the Future of uh, Life Institute. And, you know, the naysayers are uh, growing by leaps and bounds. And I think that we need to um, slow down a little bit 
not in the development of AI, but slow down a little bit in our fear of, of the future and realize that AI is a tool. A fire was a tool, and certainly in our early hominid uh, years, fire was our, our best tool that, that um, we didn't create fire, but we created um, the facsimile of fire from you know seeing lightning and fires and whatnot. And to be able to make fire was a, a great achievement. You know, two stones or flint together or rocks. That's great. So with AI, I think that we can see it as a tool that will benefit us, give us the warmth, the insight, the light. And if we use that metaphor that fire gave us light and warmth and helped guide us, AI can do the same. And we don't have to be so afraid of it and halted and, and whatnot. It's the fear that is in each person's mind Again, going to that cognitive plasticity and those old neural pathways, the fear takes over and gets more press, more attention than possibility. So it is about so, our intent. Yes, exactly. So with AI, um, and, you know, throwing into questions of our deepest held beliefs about equality and opportunity for all, all these things, I think that AI can help us with that, or AGI, I should say. Um one of the areas that concerns me is most people, I think, for the consensus of in machine learning ethicists and whatnot, are concerned that this power will be make um, that won't make the world a better place. That there's going to be the what will happen, what will we choose to do? Well, you could say that about your marriage or your relationship or your 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 animal companion. <laughs> it's just settle down, just relax and think. Slow down the alarm in our brains that are setting off, you know, this frenzy and apply our critical thinking skills. Apply the proactionary principle, for example. Look at all sides of the issue for a balanced result. If it's too dangerous, don't do it. If it's less dangerous than what's already happening, go ahead and try it. If if it if it's unknown, then take it by step by step. And I think that's you know, pretty much, you know, common sense with, with anything. You know, if you're skiing down a mountain, you're not going to go for the biggest mogul right away. You're going to practice on the on the bunny slopes and then get to where you can ski down a few moguls and then maybe you'll go to the double diamonds. But we're not starting off at the double diamonds. If you're a skier, you'll understand that. If you're not, probably not. But that's, the, that's my favorite sport. So <laughs> um, I had to use it. Indeed. So... The, so just to round out, uh, so you've already given some, you know, some practical advice, but f what for those seeking to amplify their cognition, to think better, uh, to you know, be be more in their uh, thinking and work and decision making, yeah, what what are the, a few small pieces of advice that you would give uh, our listeners? First off, anytime you start getting stressed out or angry at something, slow down and stop. And just stop. I have to practice it all the time because I could get so angry at people misconstruing transhumanism. <laughs> so I have to slow down and stop. Look for why, the whys. Why are people doing what they're doing that, that affects you in certain ways and try to understand it? Uh, think before you send out a tweet, for God's sake, you know? Think before you blame others. And if you're blaming others, it's probably you yourself that, that has an issue. Because oftentimes uh, we rationalize what we do and we blame. So 
the moment you start blaming, take a look inside. Now, those are just some inner psychological things, but meditation, I meditate every day and I think it's very important. Transcendental meditation, any positive reinforcement, creative visualization. Think about what you're going to do each day and what you can do for your own health. What can I do today to make today a great day for myself and my health? And then once you do that, you'll be probably a hell of a lot kinder to other people. Um, Don't put other people first. Put yourself first and um, give yourself a nice big hug, and then that will spread like a beautiful smile. Practice neuroplasticity. Now, this is the exercise. Really take it as a sport. You like skiing, or if you're a basketball, or whatever your sport is, pickleball, whatever it is, think of your brain plasticity as a sport you're going to practice every day and stick with it. Remember that um, dementia is tripling, that uh, 152 million people in the world will have it by 2050, and you don't want to be part of that, that group. So be healthy in what you eat. Eat for your brain. Think about what is the best food for your brain and make that your primary diet. Go have your wine or your martini and your chocolate and other things too. I mean, I don't believe in too much rigidity, um, but think first about eating for health. Um, If you're doing something, try doing something different. Learn a new skill. Again, brain plasticity is the most important thing we can do for our uh, amplifying cognition at this stage. You can take whatever smart drugs you want and et cetera. Um, everyone can do their own research on that. Um, but fundamentally, you can take all those uh, mitigating opportunities. But if you don't practice brain plasticity, they probably won't get you to where you want to go. Uh, so, uh, next, learn about the adult um, neurogenesis and, and uh, genesis and think about um what it would take for you to have your hippocampus and the uh, dendrite um, area of it, the gyros, um, as uh, flexible as possible to seed the growth of new neurons. And that pretty much relies on exercise. So get up and walk at least a mile a day. Uh, Be flexible, stretch yourself, um, go to the gym. If you don't have a gym, go somewhere, just exercise, get up. Uh, there's no sense in in uh, not doing that. It just doesn't make sense. And follow what my friend David Eagleman, who is a neuroscientist and the host of the TV show The Brain, he said, if I do something that challenges you, that's tough, and if it causes you to go and struggle with it, then that's good. The difficulties will make you, and uh, I think that's just wonderful. It's not too tough, and if someone says it's too tough for me to do and just say, you can do it, encourage others to be better people. And when when those around you in your community or tribe are losing a perspective that's necessary, um, try to help them. And if you can't help them, you have to leave. And it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard, hard thing to do. But if you can help someone that you love, it's going to end up hurting you in the long run. So just let it be. Again, that's a struggle for all of us, but it it ends up bringing us down. And the only way we can help others is by being our best selves as healthy as possible. Awesome. Thank you so much for those uh, very pragmatic and you know grounded advice. And so uh, people think of transhumanists as being very... Uh, 
transcendent, but it's a, a lot of what you, you know, everything we're talking about is very present. And so where can people go to find out more about your work? Uh, certainly my website, it's just my name, um, com, And I have most of my writings on there and, and um, interviews. Uh, I created the Center for Transhuman Studies largely to clarify what transhuman is and what it is not, um, because so many academics are getting it wrong and so many journalists are getting it wrong as well. And um, I really want to correct that um, because it doesn't help anyone to get it wrong because I, I truly think that transhumanism is one of the the most beneficial worldviews for humanity, especially today, because it is pragmatic. It's not science fiction. It's not airy-fairy. It's not up in the sky, Pollyanna. It's real. And those of us who created the movement and I wrote the manifesto, Max Moore wrote the philosophy, and uh, so many people were there at ground zero with it. And we wanted to build a worldview that understood the advances in technology that could uh, strategize the ways to overcome some of the conflicts and challenges ahead. And we were very adamant about that. We weren't thinking about being elitist and wealthy and, <laughs> you know, being, you know, living forever, taking over the world. That had nothing to do with it. It was about living a healthy, long life as possible and understanding that things are changing and there will be new environments in the coming years, whether it's 50 years from now or 100 years from now. There will be worlds that we couldn't even imagine today in which we will coexist, will live. And whatever that means, we don't know yet, but if we continue to, to be healthy and alive and, and make the best choices for ourselves that influence and help others, then perhaps the world of the future can be a place worth living in. That's awesome and a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much for your time and your insights and all of your work, Natasha. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the show. If you really want to amplify your cognition, go to amplifyingcognition.com, where you can access a trove of useful resources to make your mind better and more effective than ever before. If you liked this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review, and subscribe if you want to hear more of this. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful day.